This morning, we're going to finish up our last part of our Planted Together study in Ephesians. We've done six parts to this, and there's actually six chapters in Ephesians, although we haven't done them chapter by chapter. But we're going to finish up this last part today. And I might say today that this is probably one of the more important parts of what Paul was telling the church in Ephesus, because he saved it till the end. And he wanted it to be the final reminder to them as they are going about their lives as believers to not forget this. It's so important. Don't walk away. Don't, re- don't leave without remembering these last words that Paul gives the church in Ephesus. And so we've been talking about the being planted together. All of us here today, we're called to be planted together as believers. There is no Lone Ranger Christian We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ as we have talked. We are the people of God. We are made together and brought together, joined and knit together, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And what we have here is special. It's not something you can get down the street from any other club or organization. This is the church of Jesus Christ, and she is alive. And what we have here is special. And I hope today that we will remember as we're talking about the church that what God wants us to do is to grow. All of us here today, God has called us to grow, to be brought up in maturity, the Bible says, into Jesus who is the head. And so I want to read to you this verse we've been reading week after week, and we've been reading Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. But we're going to add a verse to the front of that, verse 14 today. In Ephesians 4, 14, that says this, We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Now you'll notice here that Paul, before he tells them about speaking the truth in love and growing up, he warns them. He tells them, we must no longer be children. Tossed to and fro. And this was a thing that was happening in the early church. Somebody would come up with some doctrine and people would just run to it like it was the best thing ever. And they would go over here and they would go over there and then somebody would come up with something else and they would jump over here, people's trickery, here and there and everywhere. And people were being blown by whatever doctrine or fad or trend came up and they would just go here or there and everywhere. And Paul tells them, we must no longer be children. That's what a child does. They have a short attention span. He says, we've got to grow up into him who is the head into Christ. And so today, I I share this with really a heavy heart, with a burdened heart today. It's been wrestling with me all week. Because I have a great concern for us as believers. And if there was ever a word of caution and urgency I could give, it would come from this here in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're going to look at today. We're going to read this morning Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. He tells them in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Let's read that together. Be, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of His power, put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. We're going to pause there and we'll finish reading this in just a few moments. This morning I want to talk to you today about the wiles of the devil. Some translations use a different word there, the schemes of the devil. But I like the word wiles. It's more appropriate, I believe, for what the Greek word teaches us about this. The wiles of the devil. Paul leaves the church in Ephesus with an admonishment to be alert of the wiles of the devil. Be on guard and fight to protect Christian community. The enemy would love nothing more, and he delights in it all the time in churches across the world, to divide, to destroy, to sow discord in the church, to be, a per to be the one who comes in and just causes all that we have to fall amiss. The enemy takes delight in that. He loves to come into churches and just divide us up, whatever it takes. But Paul leaves them with an admonishment and encouragement. And I want to encourage you today to be alert on the wiles of the devil. You know, this word wiles is an interesting word. Really, it's a word we don't typically use that much anymore. But it's a word that means a trick that's intended to ensnare or deceive. And it comes from a Greek word. And I know this is a little bit of Greek for you, but it's really interesting. and helps us understand what Paul was trying to relay. It comes from a Greek word that is methododia, which is where we get our word method, which means to lie in wait, to scheme, to plan, to deceive. Think of it about this way. You remember Looney Tunes, Wiley Coyote? That's his first name, Wiley. He's a deceiver. He's a tricker. He's a scheming. He's always scheming how to get Roadrunner caught in a trap. Throw up a little TNT here, put a fake bridge here, whatever it takes. Wiley Coyote was on the move. And that's the name of the devil too, Wiley Coyote. You might as well call him that. He's a schemer. He's a deceitful one. Always after. Always trying to deceive and cause a little stumble. It's a method. It's a method in the process. One writer says it this way, that you can't see a method. You can't see a way. You can only see what it accomplishes. It, if, if it efficiently brings about what you want, it is readily embraced. And the evil is hidden within the way itself. And if the end product is something we count as good, we are indifferent to the way. And that's the way the enemy works. He works in methods. And oftentimes we can't see how the method is working, but we can see what happens after the method accomplishes what it was intended. But be encouraged this morning and be reminded today, as we're talking about Christian community, as Paul has been telling them in this whole letter about the importance of being the church, of being planted together, of loving one another, encouraging one another, singing psalms and hymns, all of that, be encouraged today that Paul reminds them for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. I hope today, as we leave this church, all of us here today, every person, whether you're watching online and you're a part of a church somewhere else, whether you're here today and you're, you're just visiting, I hope today we will all leave here today knowing this verse in the heart of the church of Jesus Christ, of the church of the Lord. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. Listen today. Our struggle is not against one another. Our battle is not with one another. 
We might not, just might not agree on every subject or topic, and that's okay. But listen today, when we get in this thing called church, our struggle is not to fight with one another. That's not what God's called us to do. We're here together as the body of Christ. And you see, it's a strategy. It's a method. The enemy wants us to think that our struggle is against one another. Well, so-and-so said this about me, so I'm going to get angry and upset. And there, what happens is, is a rift comes in between you. And the joy and the beauty of Christian community is lost. And the enemy would love nothing more than to take all of our struggles and to amount them to being a battle against flesh and blood. But Paul reminds the church in Ephesus and encourages them. And it's the reminder today that it's our fight is not against blood and flesh. But against the rulers, remember, the things you can't see with your eyes, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All of the things that Paul mentions here, you can't behold with your eye. You can't put your eye on the spiritual darkness, but it's happening around us. And the enemy would like us nothing more than one of his wiles and one of his methods to think that it looks like one thing, but in actuality, it's another thing. We, we like to think that our battle is with another person, but in reality, it's with another thing. 2 Corinthians tells us this in eleven fourteen that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light, don't you think he would like to present himself in a form of somebody that we love and admonish, but then there becomes a division and a rift, and it breaks us and it hurts us, and it isolates us from Christian community. You'll see in the process of what we're talking about today that the method of the enemy, the wiles of the devil, is to get us to the place where eventually we become isolated from Christian community, where we get separated because the enemy knows that if he can separate us, he can attack us. The safety and the, the, the joy and the refuge that you and I have as believers is with one another. It's when, when somebody says, I, I need help, I'm struggling. The brother or sister can come alongside you and say, we're going to pray because with God all things are possible. And we're going to hold on to the Lord and we're going to avail together in prayer. Jesus said this to the church. Jesus said this to Peter when he founded the church. They said to him, who do you people say that I am? And some responded, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. But Peter said, you are the Christ the Son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus said, upon this rock, upon this truth, Peter, upon the fact that you recognize them, I am the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. And he goes on to say that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, we know from the Bible that the church will endure to the end. We know that. We know. We see it in Revelation. We know that the church is going to make it. This is the bride of Christ. The question then becomes, if the church will endure and nothing will stop it, will you and I endure to the end? The church will live. The church will go on. And people, I hear comments and questions all this time with things that are happening in our world. Oh no, what's going to happen to the church? Listen, the church is triumphant and victorious and the church will win in the end. But the question you and I have to ask, am I going to endure? Am I going to make it? Am I going to stay planted? Am I going to hold on and trust God and be with one another and be with the believers and know that God is going to keep me and I'm going to know I'm going to make it with the church to the end. The Bible says that he that endures to the end will be saved. You and I question is, are we going to endure? The risk comes when the wiles of the devil 
try to separate us from the flock, the Christian community. And listen, the reasons go on and on and on and on. I've heard them all. Everywhere, all across the nation. The reason why somebody left the church, why somebody left the Christian community. Oh, this reason, that reason. There are reasons after reasons. But don't you see today, that's the wile of the devil. If he can get us separated, isolated, then he can have us for his breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He can make us his own. Listen, the Bible teaches us today, and I want us to leave here knowing today, that the Bible teaches us in John chapter 10, Jesus reminded the believers, reminded the church, that no one shall snatch you out of my hand. Did you hear that today? No one shall snatch you out of my hand. The question becomes oftentimes, is who's going to leave his hand? Nobody's going to snatch us out of Jesus' hand. But if we walk out of his hand, then what has happened? We've opened ourselves up to being vulnerable. But the method, the wile of the devil, is just that, to isolate us. And so here we're going to continue reading in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. And see, okay, Lord, if we're subject to the wiles of the devil, if all of that's around us, then what's our response ought to be? So Paul tells them this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Having done everything, you and I, my brother, my sister, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. And he goes on and he uses this word over again. He says, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert. And always persevere, there's that word again, in supplication for all, of the, for all of the saints. And pray also for me that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that day and having done everything, to stand firm. You know, what's interesting here is that Paul suggests some language that is really paradoxical. He tells us about taking up the armor of God. He tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel of peace, all of those things. And what's interesting is that Paul adapts language that is in the mode of fighting. He talks about an armor. He talks about going to battle, really. But really what is interesting is Paul isn't suggesting that we fight at all. Paul isn't suggesting that you and I take up our sword and our shield and we run after the devil. That's not what Paul suggests. As a matter of fact, Paul said the opposite. He said, having done everything to stand firm. And what's interesting to me as I began to study this, and this has really shaken me this week as I've looked at this. These words, as one writer has said, are not job descriptions from which we improvise a strategy and then implement the best we can. The truth is, is that you and I are the weapons. 
You and I are the believer, sons and daughters of God. The, the elements of the armor is what makes this different. He tells them truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God are all the traits that are reflective of who God is. And they alone are enough to conquer evil. God doesn't call us to go and go after the enemy with our sword. God doesn't call us to take up and go and fight. What God calls us to do is stand firm. Let truth work on your behalf. Let righteousness work on your behalf. Let peace work on your behalf. Let faith work on your behalf. Let the word of God work on your behalf. Because listen, as sons and daughters of God, the king of glory is fighting for you and I. He hasn't called us to go the battle. He's gone ahead of us and fought the battle. This is why the armor of God does not give us a call to engage or fight. It simply calls us to stand. Having done everything. In other words, what Paul is saying, after you have done your rightful duty, after you have done everything that Jesus has taught you to do, just stand. Stand firm. Trust God. Believe that righteousness is going to work on your behalf. Believe that God is able to move and strengthen you and help you and encourage you and give you all that you need. When the wiles of the devil come, listen, Jesus said, no man's going to snatch you out of my hand. The only thing you and I have got to do is stand firm in his hand. Know that God holds us. He's going to watch over us. He's going to take care of us. But when you and I, the danger is, is when we walk away. We put down the armor and we give up on it all and we say, not for me, not today. I'm not dealing with this anymore. What happens is, is then we become vulnerable. Righteousness isn't guarding us anymore. The breastplate, the belt of truth isn't on us anymore. The sword of the spirit, it's not working on our behalf anymore. What happens is, is we become vulnerable. And the command from Ephesians 6 is this, to stand firm. This is why he told them in Ephesians 6.10, a verse you and I ought to memorize, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Jesus. Be strong in the strength of his power. Guess what? You and I oftentimes, when it comes to the wiles of the devil, we don't have the strength. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the energy. I don't have the motivation to fight that guy always on my back trying to put me down. I don't have it. And this is why Paul tells them, but be strong in the Lord and in the power, in the strength of his power. Remember today, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The method of the enemy is always trying to discourage us, to get us out of the beauty and the joy of Christian community, the thing called the church. But don't fall for it. Don't fall for that deceitful voice. It's a method. It's a disguise. I love how the Bible teaches us in Joshua. When Joshua was on the way to Jericho for battle, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And as he was getting ready to go to Jericho and fight, and work, and begin to do all that God had called him to do, Joshua said to this angel, he said, are you one of us or one of our adversaries? Basically, he said, are you on their side or are you on my side? Are you with them or are you with us? And the angel of the Lord replied to him, neither. But as the commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. Isn't it true in our partisan culture that we always want God to take our side when God is simply calling us to stand firm? Stand firm in truth. 
Stand firm in righteousness. Stand firm in peace, in faith, in salvation, and the word of God. And that alone will be enough to fight for you. That alone will be enough to fight for you. Because they're characteristics of the Lord God Almighty. The armor of God has nothing to do with fighting or overcoming with force. And has everything to do with growing up in maturity into Christ. As you and I grow, oh, listen, God is going to watch over us. God is going to help us today. As we're talking about the wiles of the devil, I want to remind you today. Don't entertain that kind of uh, the language and that happens in the church oftentimes. Always looking over my back wondering when Satan going to hit me next. Remember this thing. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul told the church and he's reminding us here today. He has put all things under his feet. You are not subject to the enemy. I am not subject to the enemy. The enemy is subject to the foot of Jesus Christ. He has put all things under his feet. And you don't have to wake up tomorrow worrying about this or that, the devil. He just says, be alert. Just know that he's trying to separate you from community. Just know that when it comes, watch out. He's just trying to get you. But don't you worry. Don't you live in condemnation and in fear. Be alert, but know that he has put all things under his feet. We serve a risen king, and that resurrection power that brought him alive gave him the power to conquer the death, grave, and the hell. I'm going to ask the musician to come. It's, an, it's a warning. It's a word of caution. Put on the whole armor of God. But in reality, it's not even an armor. It's the characteristics and traits of God. It's what represents who God is. It's what represents His life, His work, and all that He has become. And when you and I come to Jesus. He keeps us safe in his hands and he also makes us, puts us safe in the community of the believers. And I want to encourage you today. That enemy, he's a deceitful one. I want you to think back to the garden for a minute. And there's Eve in the garden. The Bible says that the serpent tried to talk her. Did God really say? And what's interesting to me is that Eve is not really caught off guard by the serpent's presence. He must have been in a disguise. Isn't that how the enemy works? In a disguise? But it was just that that brought their fall. I remember some years ago, and I might have shared this before, but I felt impressed to share it again today. I remember some years ago when I was visiting a friend for his wedding in another state. And the night before the wedding, we, I stayed in a suite with the groom and another gentleman, and we had adjoining rooms. I remember that night, I got woke up early that morning, and I was praying. And it's hard for me to remember that day, because it was a dreadful day. I remember the deceiver got in my ear, and all the excuses I could ever think of began to come to mind. I think it's time for you to quit. I think it's time. They don't appreciate you. All the things to put the attention to myself. You're doing too much. You're burning out. You're going to get tired and give up. All the excuses I could ever think of, they were just coming to my mind over and over and over again. And by the end of that time, I had been completely convinced. When I got back home, I was quitting ministry. I was giving up on everything. 
I was done. And here we are, 4 a.m. in the morning, and the guy's wedding I was there for, the groom. He comes into the room. Out of nowhere, I, I, didn't, I didn't talk to him about any of this. Out of nowhere, he came into the room, and he put his hand on my head and prayed for me. I didn't tell him. We had no conversation. He walked into the room, put his hand on my head, and immediately began to pray. And out of nowhere, all of that discouragement, all of that desire to quit, it left just like that. I was reminded of what Paul told the church in Ephesus, having done all to stand firm. Brother and sister, today, can I just encourage you more than ever before in these days that we're living in, we need each other. Don't allow the enemy to talk you out of it. Don't allow him to separate you, to isolate you. Oh, how God loves you. And oh, how Jesus cherishes his church that he placed us together in a community so he could watch over us, give us encouragement and strength. I want to encourage you, church, today, having done all, stand firm. Would you stand this morning? Close your eyes with me this morning. I felt so burdened today to share this as I've seen so many people I love and care for just leave, just go. I don't know what they're doing anymore. Just leave the church. Just go somewhere else. I don't know. They don't. And all I see is danger, danger. Be alert. And this morning, I just want to pray for you. I know what it's like to have that deceitful one in your ear, whispering, masquerading as an angel of light, trying to deter you, put you in a different direction. But can I just encourage you today, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. And today I just want to pray for you that God would give you strength and peace, that God would put upon you the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul's last command to them was to pray. Pray in the Spirit at all times, Paul said. Don't give up praying. Keep alert. Always pray. Pray for me, Paul said. Pray for the church. Pray that I may declare the gospel boldly. Pray, pray, pray. You're feeling isolated. You're feeling subject to vulnerability. I want to encourage you today. Pray. Pray, pray in the Spirit at all times.